Welcome to Last on the Brakes, the MotoGP podcast, once again coming at you with a feature interview, and once again this time from lockdown via Skype. Yes, from lockdown via Skype, found in one area of the UK, me in another area of the UK, uh, not together, and still no uh, real ended sight of when that will going to be changed for the foreseeable future, but that's okay because we're still pumping out podcasts once per week. This is episode four, and Fran, who have we got coming up on today's show? Today we have the one, the only, Hervé Poncheral from Tectoire. I'm sure everyone will know and love Hervé. So it's a really good deep dive into uh, the man behind the legend. Quite, and uh, not just a legend in amongst the paddock as well, but had his own 15 minutes of fame, or actually 24 hours of fame not too long ago either, as he became a viral sensation on WhatsApp GIFs. How about that? <laughs> so one of his reactions to uh, one of the interviews... Uh, just it was a viral uh, WhatsApp gif used in private chats all around the world, and it got like 13 million uses overnight, which was something crazy. So, uh, I remember that moment, and I celebrated it a lot because it's a great gif. Yeah, so <laughs> if you're listening at home, stop what you're doing. I mean, keep listening, of course, but go to your WhatsApp, search gifs, and type in Hervé Poncheral, and uh, you'll probably see the one that we mean come up. <laughs> so, uh, anyways. Uh, yeah, Hervé uh, in France at the moment. We'll be getting the lowdown of what the situation is with him there. You'll be listening to this interview, however, uh, two uh, two weeks after it was recorded, pretty much, or just under two weeks after it was recorded, 12 days. Um, so, uh, yes, just in case uh, there's anything has happened in the world which we're not aware of before then. Indeed, exactly. But, uh, yeah, so I've got good news. I've searched Hervé Poncheral, and it is uh, one of the gifts that comes up, so I'm going to be able to find it. Super. Yeah. Okay, that, <laughs> Just thought I'd double check that advice. Yeah, that would have been a little bit awkward if it didn't come up and uh, you know what I was talking about. Maybe, maybe I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll use the GIF to promote this podcast on uh, MotoGP's Twitter. Fantastic. Perfect. Okay, cool. Well, I guess we should stop blabbering on and actually give her a ring. We should. Okay. So without further ado then, here we are sitting down with, well, virtually, of course, the wonderful Hervé Poncheral. Um, so firstly, um, how are you? Where are you at the moment? I am in the south of France. Um, I am lucky enough to live yeah, in, a, in a nice part of the world where, you know, the weather is at, the, at this time of the year quite nice. I am lucky enough to, and I, I, I can appreciate that a lot, seeing what some other people uh, have to go through. I have a house big enough, uh, you know, not to feel too too stressed and uh, I, have a, I have a little garden which is uh, fabulous you know and uh, also to be honest uh, my house is about uh, I would say five minutes walk from uh, my uh, my office mm. therefore you know I've got, I've got the right uh, to go to the office whenever I want so uh, I am bored like uh, the most of the world is I am missing uh, MotoGP racing. I'm missing MotoGP paddock, but uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to cry on myself. I am, a, I am a lucky man. I'm healthy. The family, in the, the, my family is healthy, and uh, that's the most important. And I hope, you know, uh, the MotoGP community is uh, also healthy and, uh, you know, ready to to bounce back whenever we will be allowed to do it. Quite right, quite right, and it does it does give us the opportunity to uh, to speak to people like you as well with with uh, more downtime per se. But of course, the main thing is everybody stays fit and healthy. Yes, you know, if 
you know, our our professional life, our passion, our main goal and target, and our job, you know, is uh, racing uh, MotoGP bikes around the world. And for sure, you know, we we all feel frustrated not to be able to do so. We've had uh, uh, a, a tough winter. I mean, tough. We had a long winter season, uh, a lot of tests, uh, quite successful for I think most of the of the uh, you know of the riders and teams, and we were ready. So of course it is disappointing. Of course it is boring, but. You know, we have to have a little bit of a bigger picture. At the moment, the world is facing a, a pandemic, which is incredibly um, bad, dangerous. Uh, a lot of people are losing lives. So clearly, you know, the focus and uh, our thoughts and um, everything we can do must be on, on that matter, on that problem. Uh, clearly, to stop the virus to spread and... Uh, to hopefully recover as soon as we can to a normal situation, which allow, will allow us to go back racing, is stay home, don't do anything silly, follow the stay-at-home uh, yeah, policy rule, even though we are feeling a little bit uh, you know, like uh, lions in a cage. But this is the only thing we can do. And um, I don't want to, again, you know, cry on ourselves because we are lucky people, we are gifted people. And uh, this is the, the main point. Of course, everybody is trying to uh, plan a future for 2020 racing season. Everybody is trying to think when could be the next race? When could be the first race? When are we going to be allowed to travel around the world? Um, I really believe at the moment this is too early to, to you know, to set up a date, to decide of a date. Mm. Uh, clearly, clearly, and this is only my opinion, you know, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not, a, you know, uh, I'm just somebody who is thinking and uh, who is listening uh, the news, who is reading many things. But I believe before summer, before summer, it will be very difficult. And if we can have, you know, our first race during summertime, we will be very, very lucky. But... Uh, I'm not so sure that will happen, but, you know, instead of talking about when, let's stay focused. You know, I know most of the riders and we can see all, uh, you know, the, the video they are posted on different, uh, you, you know, support. They are all training hard, they are positive and there is nothing else we can do, you know, just uh, try to be ready. But also I think uh, maybe try to imagine uh, what could be the future. Because we all know that uh, this crisis is uh, unprecedented. We, we don't have any precedent. This is something that uh, we never saw and the world hasn't seen for many, many, many years. And uh, I don't think 2021 will be as easy as 2019. So clearly there will be maybe different approach. Uh, a lot of companies will are struggling right now like our one, mm. will have problems to, to, to stay alive, the companies. And uh, even the, the ones who can go through that uh, tough time maybe won't have the same uh, possibility to, you know, advertise uh, through different uh, 
ways, like, uh, for example, sponsoring regarding us. For sure, our six motorcycle makers involved, three from Japan and three from Europe, will suffer a lot in 20 and uh, will not have a fantastic year in 21. So I think everybody is aware of this. I am lucky enough uh, as ERTA president to have uh, um, quite uh, uh, often access to Carmelo, Dorna CEO, uh, and Carlos Espedeta, his son. We, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, ideas. We exchange ideas together with uh, FIM also and uh, manufacturer. And um, I believe this is a, a tough time, but also an exciting time because uh, this is very important to come out of this uh, tough crisis. But also we want to be stronger when we, 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 we come back. By stronger, I mean different and more in line with uh, the environment. So this is... Um, an exciting uh, process. We have a lot of time to to think, to make plans, to exchange via you know conference call, telephone call, our ideas, uh, make them progress. And uh, clearly, um, I think the world is going through a, um, a big storm. But you know, you always I always want to see the the glass half full. I don't want to see it half <laughs> empty. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, let's hope, let's hope, uh, you know, all together we will, uh, we will soon be on the MotoGP paddock and talk about what could be MotoGP uh, in the future. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think positivity, as well as, like you said, staying home, following all the guidelines is the best thing we can do at the moment. So let's move on then to a little bit more about you. Um, you mentioned just then your role as the head of ERTA. I'm sure a lot of fans have heard of ERTA, but they're not exactly sure what it does. What is ERTA's role in the paddock? Right, it's a, it's a long story. Uh, ERTA is an international road racing team association. So basically, it is the team association who is taking care of the team, all of the teams. Moto3, Moto2, MotoGP, as well as Moto-E. Uh, we take care of the day-to-day -day life. Uh, we are organizing, of course, the paddock. We are taking care of uh, event payments. We are also one of the four bodies. The other three bodies are FIM, Federation, International Federation, MSMA, Manufacturer Association, and Dorna, of course, Promoter. So together, we are... Uh, meeting uh, quite often, which is called Grand Prix Commission. And we are one of the four bodies who is deciding the rules, the calendar, um, you know, everything about how the championship is going to evaluate. Um, we also take care of the, you know, a, a lot of small details, like, but not, not small details, you know, licenses, uh, insurance, um, organizing, uh, you know, the traveling, the freight for overseas uh, events. So anything the teams need, basically, they, they go through IRTA, you know. And, uh, of course, IRTA is working very closely with Dorna. I would say, you know, Dorna IRTA is, uh, is almost one company because we work hand-in-hand, hand. Uh, Dorna being the senior company, 
but uh, we we take care of of the team life, as I said, you know, and uh, and I think this is very important because some of the teams, you know, in the MotoGP class are big company, very well organized, a lot of staff, but some other teams like uh, in Moto3 or Moto2, they don't have that uh, budget that allows them to have that amount of staff and uh, a lot of time they rely and ask questions to IRTA of uh, what should be done, how to do, and... Uh, so we are, we are taking care of of the teams in general. And so your obviously your role as well is is being head of the the Tech Three team. You're the owner and, and manager. How do you manage to balance uh, what you do with uh, with Erta and uh, Tech Three as well? And of course, after this, we'll we'll get on to how Tech Three the team started as well. I think it's very important. You know, you don't want to be I don't know if you say that in English, but judge and party. So. You know, when I represent uh, IRTA, which is uh, representing the whole paddock, all the teams in every classes, I need to forget, you know, I have a team. And I sometimes uh, it could happen that my own opinion is a bit different than the majority of what the team have been deciding, and I follow the majority of the team. That doesn't happen very often, but just an example. Huh? Mm. So, you know, I, I really have got, I really have two, two different uh, roles. Uh, IRTA is something I try to do the best way I can uh, I have to forget I have a team in Moto3 and I have a team in MotoGP and MotoE and uh, we just want to have uh, you know always the best possibilities the best calendar the best paddock uh, the best financial support for the team uh, forgetting about uh, you know what is uh, most important for my own team so uh, and I am very proud to represent uh, the paddock. I was, uh, of course, a lot younger because Erta was created back in 1986. But I was there. I was an Erta member. And uh, it was a very ex- exciting time. And that was a big step in uh, the paddock life. A big step, uh, you know, in terms of uh, finding, uh, you know, new, new circuit, uh, not going to circuit that we were thinking were too dangerous organizing the paddock in a more professional way, having uh, all year long parties, all these seems to obvious, but at that time that was not the, 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 the situation. And I was, uh, you know, I was happy to be part of this organization. And since then, you know, I've been uh, a member, then I went up to committee and uh, my colleagues uh, elected me as president, which is a uh, not an honor for me. Yeah, an honor, but I don't feel proud. You know, I feel <laughs> having a big responsibility, having a big responsibility, and more than president, I think uh, I want to represent everybody and uh, fight for each single team to have a better life. You know, in terms of uh, how you work, how the pa- comfortable is the paddock, in terms of uh, how much financial support you can have. Uh, how safe the circuits are, etc., etc. So, this is my mission, and uh, I enjoy it quite a lot. And uh, you know, on top of that, uh, we are really all all of us incredibly lucky to have our uh, our jefe, as we say in Spanish, you know, called Carmelo Espeleta, which is Dorna CEO, <laughs> and uh, so open to to understand the the needs and the request of, of the teams and the riders, of course. So. No, no, this is a, a position I, I, I like a lot. This keeps me very busy on, on the side of what I have to do for the Red Bull KTM Tech 3 team. 
But, you know, uh, I like to be busy, and this is why I'm very bored to be, you know, behind closed doors <laughs> at home. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, yeah, so as you as you mentioned as well, and, and the part of the reason why I wanted to speak to you was you are the head of the Tech3 team. Can you, for a lot of uh, the listeners who who um, will be tuning in, they might not know the origin story of the team. It's been around for quite a few decades now. So can you tell us how the, the Tech3 squad came about? How did we start, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I've been involved in uh, Grand Prix racing about uh, for at least 40 years. Uh, but I did it following some of, uh, you know, I raced myself. Then I, I was working with some uh, friends who were riding. And then uh, I worked for Honda France for eight years. But, you know, during all these years, I, I learned quite a few things. And, uh, but I was working for somebody else. And uh, at one stage, I thought uh, I want to do it the way I I think it is, um, you know, my way. And um, I left Honda France, where I had a good job, uh, following races, of course. And then that was uh, back in uh, 1989. And uh, with two friends, we decided uh, to, you know, to, to set up a company. Uh, we called it Tech 3 because tech is technical uh, technology and uh, 3 because we were 3 at the beginning. And uh, that was back in 89. So this is quite a few years we are there. I think we are the oldest team in the paddock. But uh, I'm not very proud about that. But anyway, this is a reality. <laughs> and, you know, we, we started in 250. We did uh, about 10 years in 250. We ended up by winning the championship. And then that helped us to... To move to 500, uh, this is uh, you know this was with Yamaha. We've been 20 years with Yamaha after having worked with Honda and Suzuki, uh, and then these 20 years with Yamaha were fabulous. We've been 250 world champion. We've been uh, quite a few years uh, best independent team. We we've been quite a few times uh, having the rookie of the year uh, in the MotoGP class with us. From 90, from 2010, we started Moto2 also. So from 10, we have uh, Moto2 and MotoGP. Uh, but then, you know, not always, but quite often, you know, even the, the fairy tale of an end. And uh, I was uh, very happy with Yamaha. They gave me a lot of things to make me happy, getting the right result and uh, keeping my company successful. But, um, you know, when I met uh, the KTM, uh, you know, bosses, um, I was very excited with the new challenge they were offering me. And uh, I don't know if everybody is the same, but after a while, I am, uh, yeah, not bored, but I want to, to do something different and I need some more adrenaline. And, uh, you know, to start almost from scratch with uh, KTM to be the first satellite operation they were supporting. Um, Mr. Pierre, the, the owner, is an incredible entrepreneur uh, with a vision. Uh, Pete Byer, who is leading the racing department, is a, is a fighter that uh, I love also the vision. Um, Red Bull was with us on that adventure and I have also so much respect and uh, you know for what Mr. Mateshitz did with that company so 
yeah, I was feeling uh, I was feeling ready for that challenge. I knew it was not going to be easy in the beginning because uh, you don't fight Honda Motor, Yamaha Motor, Suzuki Motor, uh, who've been there for forever almost uh, that easily. But um, honestly, 2019 was not the best year in terms of results, but was a was a great year in sharing uh, emotion, uh, plans, uh, ideas with uh, the Red Bull KTM guys. And I am like a lot of guys. Sorry that we can't race right now because I think uh, during the, the winter 1920 KTM MotoGP bike uh, have been improving a lot. And I would have liked to see the races with uh, that bike against the opposition. We'll see it one day. But um, yeah, this is my new, my new mission now. Try to help KTM Red Bull to... Yeah, to be closing the gap with uh, the leaders and eventually beating them and eventually, you know, being in the rostrum and why not uh, winning races. So this is our target. And um, I think MotoGP racing, uh, the riders uh, are alone on their bike, but behind this is a, this is a team effort. And um, I, like, I like to share and to work with people uh, who, who I share you know, some vision and values. And I found that with KTM. So right now I'm a happy man. You know, we just have this uh, unfortunate uh, situation that uh, keeps us at home. But otherwise, um, yeah, I think everything was uh, ready for a great 2020 season for all of us. I think I definitely agree. And looking at the preseason testing as well. But you talked about then the difference in the challenge between being with Yamaha for two decades nearly and then moving to KTM. But what is the difference now then between being a team manager in 89 or in the early 90s when you started Tech 3 and how it is today? When we started Tech 3, then I was a lot younger, you can calculate. (laughs) uh, So... You, you, you know, you see the life different. Uh, also, you know, we were, we were four when we started. Four. So I was, uh, you know, I was driving uh, the truck. We had a caravan behind the truck. I was shopping. I was cooking. And I'm, the, I'm a very bad cook. Amazing. I'm a very bad cook. Um, you know, I was doing the, the, the timing, I was taking care of the tires, of the fuel. Um, you know, we were a very, very small uh, a group and everything was more, uh, how to say, less professional for sure, although we were trying to do it the best way we could and, uh, and uh, we were quite competitive, so we were not, uh, you know, there on holiday. But um, it was a very different time, you know, I always... I like this expression, and uh, uh, it was more rock and roll than now. <laughs> you were on the road. You were, you were you were on the road for X months without going back home. You, we were, you know, um, and you were more like, uh, you know, we racing from from a track to another without thinking about the future, just trying to be fast and uh, uh, just trying to pay our bills. Now I have forty staff, four zero. Uh, this is this is a, a heavy organization um, you know you have a contract thick of the Bible 
uh, you you have to have uh, you know an incredible organization for for the traveling for the, the stuff and your freight. You have to have you know I have uh, three six I have seven Arctic trucks. We didn't have any hospitality before. Now we have hospitality. We have marketing department. We have PR people. So you know I have lost. A lot of uh, the, 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 the contacts uh, I was having with the technical side. I was all the time, I was living in the garage from, you know, the moment I was waking up until the moment I was going to, to sleep. Right now, I am only attending, you know, during the session. The rest of the time, I'm in meeting, I meet journalists, I have a lot of meeting as, a, you know, a president with a with, uh, the, the, as I told you, the, the different bodies, FIM, Dorna, MSMA. We also have uh, to welcome the sponsor to take care of their guests. Uh, it, it's a complete different role, complete different world, the paddock also. And uh, I like what I'm doing now, but now I'm more an entrepreneur, you know. In <laughs> a way, I run a, my, I run a company who is doing MotoGP, but this is about the same kind of uh, job that if I was, if my company was doing something different, you know, before I was almost a MotoGP coordinator, team manager, mechanic, uh, uh, you know, Chef. cook, etc., uh, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Now it's, uh, it's different. It's exciting uh, because you have to plan the future two, three years in advance. Uh, you're part of the, of the bodies that are um, taking the decision what will be uh, the MotoGP E2, but also in five years. You have to plan because we have, um, every five years, we have a new contract with uh, Dorna, following Dorna, you know, signing the contract with FIM. So we need to to think about all the aspects of the contract that will link us to, the, to Dorna. It's... Um, I mean, it's much more politic, but you know, politic for me is not uh, necessarily uh, a bad word. Huh? Yes. Politic, uh, if you take the et- etymology of politic, is the life of the city. So, for me, politic is the life of the paddock, and uh, yeah, I do quite a lot of politics. It's also important to take care of the media. The, the, the any kind of media, for sure, television is the the king of the media because without television, you you can't have uh, sponsors, etc., etc. So it's interesting to to see all the different aspects and side of of our sport. Where before I was only focused on uh, having this uh, 252 stroke uh, very fast and trying to be on the podium. Yeah, completely, yeah, completely different priorities. And in all that time that it's changed as well, you've obviously had so many riders that you've worked with. Uh, which rider would you say, or could you actually pick a singular rider that you would describe as your biggest success? <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how many riders I had, but for sure more than 50. Huh? So 50, wow. Yeah. It's, very, it's very difficult to pick up a name because there were so many, you know, incredible relationships, you know, fun, excitement, uh, sharing a great result together, going through tough time after trash injuries or 
you know, not competitive machine or riders losing confidence. So all these things, you know, makes you, uh, makes you very close to, to your riders. And uh, each single guy, you know, was, uh, was an interesting uh, uh, adventure and relationship. But for sure, if you look in terms of results, we've been world champion with Olivier Jacques. We took him. He was completely unknown and uh, beginner. And uh, we were rookie very first year of his Grand Prix season. That was, I think, in 95, yes. And, and then we won the, the world championship together. So sure, this guy is special because he brought us everything we were fighting and dreaming of. Um, but I had a lot of other riders, you know. I think Andrea Dovizios, although he did only one year with us, uh, we, I think uh, we've known each other, we've discovered each other, and we appreciated a lot each other. He, we learned a lot working with him, and I think he was coming from Repsolonda HRC factory team, and uh, I was a bit scared. Uh, he was disappointed to join the satellite operation after being uh, a, a rider of one of the top uh, uh, teams. But he was also so so happy to work with us. Uh, and I think we taught him many things, but we learned a lot of things from him too. Carl uh, Crutchlow is an unbelievable guy, uh, full, of, uh, full of energy, full of fun, but uh, with uh, such a strong motivation. And um, that was also a very special guy with us. I, I enjoyed a lot, you know, working with Sylvain Gantoli, who is a, a very special guy, you know, a French guy living in UK. You must be, you must be crazy. <laughs> we always say that Sylvan has the best accent in the world. Yeah, he really does. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I really love Sylvan also. But, you know, for, for sure, what Johan Zarco did for his rookie season in MotoGP will always stay, you know, like an incredible souvenir because very first MotoGP race, he was leading the race for seven laps until crashed. And then he's been, you know, uh, second position in a uh, home Grand Prix in France, doing pole position. That was completely unexpected. Uh, this year, he was also, you know, we were with Jonas Polger, who was his teammate, Joan Zarko's teammate, and also he did incredible, especially for his home Grand Prix in Saxon Ring, fighting with Marc Marquez until the last lap and ended up second. Um, you know, we had so many guys, you know, that uh, we... It's difficult to pick up a name, honestly. It's very difficult to pick a name. Right now, we work with Miguel. Miguel is a, is a very smart person, and which is, uh, uh, you know, which is important for us in that project, you know, to have somebody calm, understanding things, pushing uh, at the maximum and giving the, the incredible good feedback for the engineer to develop the bike. Um, uh, you know, and very recently, I discovered Denis Anchu. For the only race we did in Qatar with him, he's only 16, but I tell you, this guy, I, I love him like my, like my son. Because, uh, he's full of fun, he's so funny, uh, he's just happy to be alive, you know, but he loved his life and, uh, you know, I'm going to be 63 in a few days. He's 16 and uh, it's so much, um, it is 
emotionally so strong to see such a young guy full of uh, life and uh, um, I mean this is helping me to recharge my battery and sometimes when I'm a little bit down to see young guys like that it is uh, it is a great help for me and uh, and I hope I will help also his teammate uh, Sasaki and Iker Lequena who is uh, just turning 20 uh, all these young guys, I, I love to work with young, young, young guys because uh, they are still uh, a bit um, rough and you have to try to educate them, you have to try to explain them, uh, you have to tell them mm, uh, this is a, a mistake that you shouldn't do, uh, don't go that way, don't be, be aggressive without being too aggressive, understand how to behave in the paddock understand how to be with the media, work hard, don't waste your time on some things, uh, you know, uh, because you have so many young guys coming and uh, you have only a few that reach the top and you, it's easy to, to, to spoil a career by doing, uh, you, know, you know, not the right things. Uh, you know, you got one or two years and if you don't do anything in these two years, uh, you can still be, you can easily be forgotten and uh, lose the opportunity, even though you have the talent. Yeah, definitely, it's a it's a tough world in MotoGP in all three classes. But I, I for one, would say I would not choose anybody else to uh, be my guiding light if I was in that position. So I'm sure you're doing a great job of it. So okay, we're. Know that there's um, we've already had a good half hour of your time now, so we'll start to wrap up. At the end, we usually do a segment that's the Kenwood Quickfire, sponsored by our new podcast partners this year, Kenwood, where we're going to ask you a few short, easy questions, just kind of one thing or the other thing, and you have to answer it with your instinct. Uh, does that okay. sound okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm always okay for this. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So if you're ready then, Matt, take it away. Okay. So Hervé, what do you prefer, coffee or tea? Coffee. Good answer. What's a better feeling, the first podium or a first win? First win. What about, uh, do you prefer croissant or brioche? Croissant. Apologies for my French accent there. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. It's all right. It's all right. What about youth or experience? Okay, I think you need you need you need the two, but one thing, youth, youth. Okay, perfect. Uh, do you prefer because I, because I miss because because I miss my youth? <laughs> <laughs> Have a, you're still a young man. You're still a young man. Uh, hot weather uh, or no, no. <laughs> do you prefer hot weather or cold weather? Hot weather. What's your favorite food? Although I'm a French guy, I am sorry for my country, you guys, but I would say <laughs> Italian food, by far, Italian food. <laughs> that's a good choice, I think, understandable. Yeah, that's acceptable. Do you prefer... Italian food, but, 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 yeah. uh, I, am a, I am a vegetarian, huh? so mainly pasta, vegetable, fruit, anyway, and this is why also I like salad, you know, soup. This is why also I like the Italian food because you can uh, not necessarily have meat and still have great food. So pizza, you know, uh, anyway, Italian food for sure. 
and leave the animals alone, let them alive and, uh, <laughs> you know, enjoy eating uh, what nature is giving you without killing anyone. You, 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 you don't have to say that, but anyway, this is what, what <laughs> I, I love your philosophy, Hervey. I think it's great. Okay, uh, a few more. Uh, do you prefer ski holidays or beach holidays? This is a difficult one. It's like if you ask me, you like a blonde girl or a black hair girl? I like both, you know. But so, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, let's go for beach holiday. Well, it's funny you but, should say that but, because... But, 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 but any holi- beach holiday, but on top of everything, not crowded places. Oh, yes. Not cr- not crazy not crazy beach like in some you know places no 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 no. First of all, for me, beach or or ski, I like both. But let's say beach, but myself and the nature. Perfect. I like that. Okay, so the next one, funnily enough, I'm going to skip a couple ahead, Matt. Uh, we have blonde or brunette. Now that one of them is Bridget Bardot or Sophia Loren. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're killing me. <laughs> Sophie, Sophie Marceau. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, okay. Uh, I would like to say Brigitte Bardot, but she's a blonde. So. Okay, Brigitte Bardot. <laughs> Brigitte Bardot. Okay, uh, do you prefer getting up early or having a lie-in? Uh, having a lie-in. Uh, what's your favorite uh, film? Uh, 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 I, oh. Every time I get up early, I am happy, but it's a big effort, and I don't like to get up early. <laughs> Perfect. But I should, I should get up earlier. Anyway, this is it was just a small parenthesis. Next one. <laughs> uh, the next one is, what's your favorite film? Ooh, millions. Okay. Uh, you know, BBC, okay, the BBC... This is called BBC Earth, I think. Oh, They're yeah, doing yeah. incredible, incredible documentary on the planet, on the nature, with incredible message of how crazy we are and how careful we should be. Yeah, that's These people who are behind the camera, who go to incredible places, who manage to catch incredible images, this is what today, you know, take me the most, you know, or... Uh, but it's not one film, but this is this type of documentary that are more than documentary that make me fly, that make me dream, that make me, yeah, just uh, fly. Um, one film, I, I there are so many films I like a lot, but one film I would uh, say also on top of the BBC Earth documentary is uh, The Untouchable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think this is about. Uh, you, did you, do you know this film? Do you know this book? I've definitely heard. The I name. do know this book. Yeah. Watch it. Watch it. Anyway, this was spring '68 in Prague, I think, and if that was spring, spring season, spring for for the people, the young people, love uh, everything you can learn, and that was killed by the Russian army who entered in Prague with a tank and everything. But there was an incredible story behind. But I also love, you know, um, uh, The Last of the Mohican with De Lewis. Uh, I, love, I love a lot of films, you know, and, and it's difficult to say. But, okay, 
keep what I told you in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, final one then. What is your favorite race celebration of all time? That that I that I, that I had the chance to live. Yeah, that you that you got to see in person. Okay, to surprise everybody, maybe my one of yeah, maybe my best uh It's better to have too many to choose from than not enough. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, a lot, a lot. Because sometimes, you know, you do an incredible result and it's not a win, but for you it's like a warp. You, yeah, you know, exactly. but uh okay, something that was very emotional for us was um the the first win of our Moto2 machine that we built in our workshop. That was 2010 with Takahashi in Barcelona. And uh, we had such a, a tough time during the winter to build the bike. Uh, we had to fight to, to have to race against the clock. We had to fight so hard to, because that was the MotoGP team that was building and creating the Moto2 machine. And um, we had not enough time to, to develop, to spend. We had to to find a lot of suppliers all through Europe, mainly Italy. Thanks, thank you, my Italian friends. Mm -hmm. And uh, to see Takashi winning uh, the race with our bike made at the workshop by Tech Three staff, by Tech Three Moto GP staff that was uh, that were working on the M1, you know, each weekend and each each week in between two races, building that bike. I think was a uh, was an incredible feeling for me, proud, but also to give that podium and that top step of the podium to all the guys um, that have been working so hard was, uh, was an incredible feeling. I like, for me, the best way, okay, so use this one, but for me, it is strong when I can share it with my guys, with the rider and all the guys behind, you know. And, yeah, I can uh, imagine. Maybe I, Maybe this is why I pick up this one more than uh, the win uh, Olivier Jacques did in Philippe Alain that uh, made us world champion. You know, for sure, this is also very, very important. I had the Nakano first win in Motegi in Japan. You know, uh, uh, that was also incredible. But okay, you asked me one, and uh, I'm telling you this one. Okay, cool. I, I like that answer. That's understandable when it's so many different people who've all come together and it's something you've built from the ground up that's that makes sense so okay Herve, that is all the time we will ask of you for today thank you so much for joining us no it's it's a pleasure and i have to tell you that uh, i like your question smart oh thank you <laughs> good thank you i appreciate that well the hopefully only was, the only one was the only one who was difficult to choose was in between Bar brigitte bardot and sophia loren <laughs> <laughs> that was me so i'll take responsibility for that i did it on purpose <laughs> if i would have been naughty i would have told you i would have told you both of them together <laughs> <laughs> Herve, you are a one-off okay. thank you so much for your time Thanks to all. Thanks to you too, and take care. And uh, anything you need, let me know. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much. You too. We'll hopefully speak to you at some point again. Bye now. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> well, that was as good a laugh as I expected. I've got to say, and uh, Hervé just on top form as usual. Absolutely. Yeah, we would expect nothing less. Thank you very much to him once again for his time and for sitting down and chatting to us. And, and uh, yeah. Well, that'll be it from pretty much this week's show. Apart from next week, what's coming up, Fran? 
Next week, we have another absolute legend, really. Uh, the one, the only, Alex Briggs. Yes, shot to Twitter fame in years gone by as uh, one of Valentina Rossi's uh, right-hand hand men. Right-hand men? Oh, dear. It's been a long <laughs> I thought you were going to say henchman in some way then. I was like... <laughs> He probably, is quite, he probably is quite a henchman, but not in that sense. But yes, sir, Alex Briggs worked with Valentina Rossi, worked with McDoing, one of the great mechanics of the paddock, and even coming, touch wood, because we're recording it tomorrow, as of the recording of this podcast, coming to you via video and Skype as well. Indeed, yes. We had a very brief test run earlier. Hopefully, we should be set to uh, bring you visual breaks, but we'll see how it goes. Well, from myself and Fran... We'll see you next week with Visual Briggs.